Hello, my friend. Hey, Luke. How the heck are you? I'm doing all right. How the heck are you? I almost puked my guts out, so I went and took a nap <laughs> instead, and my wife woke me up about four minutes ago. Why did you almost puke your guts out? I had no idea. Just poor eating. <laughs> like a gentleman. Bad life choices. Bad life. It's my daughter's birthday today. Mm, I know. Mm, I saw. Yeah, my youngest is eight. That is crazy. <sighs> that is crazy. I'm, oh, my gosh. I remember when she was born, I made her the background of my iPhone. Aw, you precious little bastard. Because I'm a good friend. You are a good friend. Let's talk about the iPhone instead. Oh, man. Can't wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. Can't wait for iOS uh, iOS 12. Can I tell you why? Why? Two features that they have that I want. Number one, shortcuts. So I have the app. Um, oh, crap. I already forgot about it. But uh, work, work something. Workspaces, workplaces. What is it called? Workflow. Thank you. Um, and you assign all these essentially workflows. And you just basically pick your workflow and push go. And it does, like, multiple tasks in multiple apps. It's, it's an amazing app. Well, uh, they have it now. They bought the, the people that make that. And they, the team has been working for Apple for a year, over a year. Nothing's come of it. And you find out that they have pretty deep integration. I think they call it shortcuts in the new, the new iOS 12. So you can say, like, you can tell Siri. You can create a shortcut within Siri. And then you just activate it and say, hello, hey, Siri. Go to, uh, or I'm going home. And then it'll say, oh, I'm going home. It'll take you one hour to get home. I've already texted your wife and told her that. And I've turned the tea kettle on and blah, blah, blah. So, like, whatever your recipes are, it can, it can just start doing that. I like it. Yeah. So, what I used to do is I had one of those and I would go through and I would tap the home thing. Of course, it wasn't integrated with Siri Siri, because nothing is because Apple sucks with Siri. And uh, I would hit the play button for my recipe and it would go and it would get my um, traffic report and tell it and my exact location. And it would text that to my wife. So it would be like, Michael Gormley will be home in blah, blah, blah. He is looking at, you know, the 4th and Broadway, mm-hmm. whatever, if I'm ever in New mm-hmm. York City. 4th mm-hmm. and Broadway, you see? I'm excited about huh. that. What about you? And I have another one, another feature. But did, did you hear anything in the announcement you're excited about? No, I, I don't pay attention to that stuff as much as I used to. <gasps> and by as much, yeah. I mean not at all. So I have no idea. Yeah, you know, I um, I downloaded the Apple app on my Apple TV um, for watching the videos, and then I totally forgot it even happened because life has been crazy. And then was it WW? Yeah, yeah. DC. Yeah. Uh, so a girl that I follow on Instagram um, that I went to high school with, I forgot that she works for Apple, and she just had an Instagram post that said this is her twelfth year at that, and she's been an engineer at Apple since we graduated since two thousand five, and I'm like. Emily Kim, you were very, very smart when we were in high school, so this doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, that's awesome. She to, yeah. She went to MIT. Nice. Yeah, no, I um, I usually, okay, this is how nerdy we are, is me and Jonathan Cardinal, you, the youth minister, we usually will go into the youth room, we'll drop the screen down, the big projector screen, and we'll watch the keynote live, and we'll eat our lunch there, and we'll invite the rest of the staff to come, and they all tell us, no, why would we do that? We have real jobs, and we're like, real jobs, whatever, two hours and 15 minutes, or we're going to be in the youth room then, and we watch it live. We've done that for dozen, for about a dozen of them, the different announcements and all that stuff. <sighs> Not so this time. He's at Stupid Cove Crest with stupid high school students. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They are dumb. Oh, so dumb. Am I right? 
And ugly. Let us not forget. Ugly. <laughs> Listen, if, if you're in high school and you are listening t- to this, you're not as ugly as you think you are. Not at all. But you're not as good looking as you think you might as you are either. So, you know, just enjoy it. <laughs> the only reason why. I, okay, never mind. <laughs> did, it, did a filter just kick in on old Lukey boy? Yep, it sure did. <laughs> it sure did. I work at the Archdiocese. There are some things I just shouldn't say. Shut up, you. I thought I killed you with liquor. <laughs> uh, turns out, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not at this part of the evening. So how come uh, we, you had to keep pushing back uh, talking with the old, uh, the old Gormster, as I'm known around my condo? Uh, one of the young adults that I met at one of my events, he's new to the area, and he um, has tickets to uh, the FC Cincinnati games. He has season tickets, and he wanted to know if I wanted to go to uh, a game with him. I was like, yes, I do, because it would be great to hang out with him. He's a really good dude. He, he, is, he is new here, and I uh, thought it would be fun to you know just spend some time with him. And uh, uh, it was tonight, and it went into overtime. Then it went into penalty kicks. So I was like, ooh, can we get home much later than I thought I would? More time for Gomer to nap. Yeah. Yeah. We were at my mom's house swimming in a pool. Oh, man. I, do you find that being outside in your, in your mid-30s is just exhausting? Well, yes, but it also is for our kids. So it's not me. It's the sun. <laughs> it's not my <laughs> age. It's the sun. Speaking of age, Luke, we have to apologize to our... 40-ish listeners. Dewey. Yes. Dewey. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially since I'm, I accidentally just pulled up our chat with each other, and I'm staring at a picture of Cher in her fishnet <laughs> body stocking that I sent you as a joke, and I'm like, Ugh. Okay. <laughs> so, then I, so then I sent that picture of me just so it would push the image up out of the screen. Just, just, um, just one more time. Ugh. <laughs> But it is funny. Um, so the, one of our friends, good old Riley Roscoe, said, uh, hey, some of your listeners <laughs> don't appreciate you <laughs> using the phrase that old when referring to a 41-year-old chair. <laughs> but in our defense. Oh, was that my cue? No, I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> in our defense. Okay. What we were saying wasn't that uh, – it's bad for a person who's 41 to express his or her sexuality. Sexuality is a good thing. However, in fishnet stockings on a boat. Fishnet bodysuit. Fishnet bodysuit on a boat might not be the best idea. Mm, mm. USS Missouri. I, uh, I'm, Missouri. Going, I'm going to St. Louis um, you know, tomorrow, and uh, I'm really excited because USS Missouri is there. So I bought my fishnet body stocking. Can we talk about how many times, like, we've had, like, how many times have you either thought of or been con- or been confronted with the artist like Cher over the past five days? Oh, my goodness. Oh, right? my goodness. Cher has come at me like a spider monkey. She is. It's almost like she knew. It's almost like she knew. And she just said, you know what? Everything that Michael Gormley's going to watch. Deadpool 2, let's have multiple instances with Cher, including the song, If I Could Turn Back Time. I know. I almost turned to you while I was playing and be like, what is going on? <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not Skynet is real. Um, so Skynet uh, is real. But wait, 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 wait. I have a loose thread I need to tie up. I have a oh, loose no, no. thread. Do it, do okay. It. Number one, 
Roscoe, we're not referring to you. All 40-year-old women who listen to this show, you're perfect. Um, also, the other feature that I want out of the iPhone. <laughs> I, I said there were two features, and then I was like, let's give it to Luke. Now we're talking about Cher. Um, and apologizing <laughs> to 41-year-old women. Uh, the Just another Catching Foxes episode. Just a typical... <laughs> I think I, I think I have the segment that we should do every week, but keep keep going. Okay, okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other thing that they talked about in the Apple app uh, or in the uh, iOS 12 that's going to come out is there is either an app or something within settings that'll give you a report of your usage, like what apps you used the most. How many times a day you picked up your iPhone just to look at it? It'll tell you which apps consume the most of your time. And then you can set limits on apps. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so you can say like, okay, well, I'm using Instagram for three hours a day every day. I'm just going to say I'm going to use it for one hour. And then it'll literally have a pop-up that'll say you have five minutes left in your Instagram usage for the day. Do you think Apple's starting to pick up the people are feeling controlled by their phones well there was numerous reports and quote-unquote public outcry i think there was like an investor an activist investor who tried to get apple to create something that was more to pay attention to the addictive nature of phones and that was more family friendly i would love the ability especially on the ipad to sign into it like with different accounts like i'm the parent or i'm the owner of my ipad 12 but I, I want to put it into a kid's mode very easily. That'll prevent it from, you know, kids wandering down the dangerous corner of YouTube. But here's the bonus thing that I discovered. My new router with uh, the Circle by Disney software that it comes with, um, I can totally do that. I can block from the entire Internet, Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Like you can select individual apps as well as explicit content and stuff like that. And it prevents it at the router level, which is awesome, which is awesome. I love that idea because I'm always scared of my kids. They'll be on the iPad, and they'll be playing a, a, a game that I downloaded for them, but then an ad will come up, and these ads are horrible. Looking at you, angry birds. The ads will come up, and it's full page, full screen, completely block the screen, and unless you know enough to tap the X in the corner, the little kid, my little kid will tap, the the image and then it'll take you to youtube and play the commercial and that's not what that's not what i want so now my mm-hmm. kids on youtube but i'm like how the hell did they get on youtube i don't even have that on like an app but it's pulled up safari and it's going nuts mm. so yeah i can't wait to use all these things on my iphone 10 i hate you what are you going to use it on <sighs> my ipad 12 ipad pro 12 mm. inch mm. my I Apple Apple Watch that a listener sent in because she loves me. Anyways, I'm enjoying my iPhone 10. Do you, do you have an uh, app, Do you have an Apple Watch? Do I you, do not. If any of our listeners want to send me an an Apple Watch, I'll gladly take it. <laughs> Don't do it, Scott Thompson. <laughs> You're the only other person who works for a certain fruit company that could do that. Ooh, Scotty, hi. Hey, Scott, how you doing? <laughs> come come here often. Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> Haven't seen you around. Good. Can you buy me a drink? (laughs) Do you do Pilates? Um, All right. Please tell Uh, me. Please tell me you've used that line before, like in an Idaho bar. No, no. Do you know what I have done though? Oh wow, you're fit. Do you use Bowflex? (laughs) I've quoted Ghostbusters, and they've thought that it was an original joke that I made, and I've just kept the lie. 
I, I kept what, the line. What was the Ghostbusters quote? I don't remember. It was something from Ghostbusters 2, because to me, Ghostbusters 2 was ingrained in my brain because I saw it at the age of like five. Yeah. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> Very good choice. I love that. I love that movie. What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Um, yeah, it was funny. I remember being like, well, I'm just, just going to go with it. And at one point in time, this girl goes, you're like a funny game show host. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Ghostbusters circle complete. Um, okay, so let's do this. I have an idea for, for this show. Uh, let's do. Let's talk about this past weekend because I want to talk about David's. Yes. I want to talk about Father David's ordination, how powerful a priestly ordination is. And then I want to maybe we'll go over my five tips for dating because people want to hear that from the other podcast that I did with Arlene. And then we'll do a thing called uh, What Do I Regret This Week? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's do it, everyone. So first, I just want to say thank you to everyone. After after We had a lot of great responses to our last episode. So we really um, appreciate that. There's a lot of people who had a lot of really great ideas of different things that we could do. And, and I'm, I'm excited to give it more thought and more weight. I feel like last week, we, like, we kind of like... We shed some skin, and now we're beautiful butterflies. Or we're going into a cocoon, but the cocoon itself is a new beginning. There's more downloads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything's back to normal, everyone. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to say the – it's kind of amazing. The first – I started getting emails in a response to uh, in response to our show, especially the first part of the show last week where uh, – you were nervous that our thing that we peaked and blah, blah, blah. Immediately, people started writing in, telling us why they think we might have peaked. And you could not get more opposite opinions as to why we've peaked. The first email that we got was a guy saying, we're great. He loves us, except the last 10 episodes, we've become extremely political. Uh, and he hates it. And he doesn't like, uh, he doesn't think that we know history, especially you, Luke, even though you read history books all the time. And <laughs> if this individual would love to send some titles in, we'd be more than happy to read them. Uh, yeah, I read about or three. Or buy them for us. What's that? Or buy the books for us. <laughs> yeah. I read about three books a week. So uh, the, yeah, so that was interesting. So basically he said, stop being so political. I think maybe he thinks we're leftist in some of our comments. So. I don't know. Then we had another person say, all you ever do is talk about Marvel. When are you going to talk about something <laughs> serious? And I was like, okay, 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 okay. And they were almost, they were almost identical. Like the last, the, I think the second person said like the last eight episodes. And I was like, well, you're not wrong. We did talk a lot about Marvel in that time. Period. We sure did. Woo! But uh, it kind of was the most important thing that happened in America at that time. Um, and so, uh, and then we just started getting people who were like, you better not stop your show or I'll despair or whatever. So, uh, no, we are not stopping the show. Uh, Luke has committed to me for another three weeks, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> Until he has another emotional breakdown, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I will say we've gotten amazing feedback on our share uh, commercial. <laughs> I had a seminarian at David Deacon, uh, Father David's ordination come up to me and be like, hey, do you see that woman over there? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, she uh, it runs the liturgy stuff for our church or for the seminary. And I was like, oh, cool. 
She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she actually was educated uh, for a master's degree at the Liturgical Institute. And then I, like, look over at him, and he goes, yeah, I don't think she can find a place for shares if I could turn back time. And I was like, you listen to the ad! <laughs> he didn't come up and talk to me. Uh, well, that's because you left early for Zach's apartment. I sh- oh, Zach's apartment, man. That's that's for our like other podcast called Things That Happen at Zach's Apartment can only be talked about on, on patreon.com slash CF. Really really? <laughs> it wasn't really that happening. <laughs> it was great. Uh, there was meat, there was raw meat. Okay, so 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 anyways, um so we were at our good buddy from school, Father David Huss, was ordained a priest uh of the of the Holy Roman Catholic Church on Saturday. And it was pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Yeah, um, absolutely. What was the mo- like? What made it incredible for you? Well, one that I've known David for years, and to watch him, to watch a friend of mine become a priest is always transformative. Because, I mean, it's it's seven years or whatever in the making, and uh, and it's someone that you know that's doing that's belonging to this ancient institution right that that consumes your whole life like it is you know what i mean like it's like it's a it's a whole new life that he is living and uh to watch it and it was so perfect everything went so well from the cardinal um the the people that we saw from college who all came out for flew in from all over the country to the uh, receptions plural that happened afterwards um everything everything was just perfect Mm -hmm. there's something very beautiful about when a person uh, enters into their primary vocation. Yeah. I've experienced that. Yeah. With marriage, I've experienced it with consecrated people. I've experienced it with people who've become the priests now, with people who've become traditional, uh, traditional like deacons. There's just something about it that's very cool and very holy. Uh, this was a very holy weekend for me. Like, I, I just felt like my heart was just, um, was it was really converted a bit partly because of just being around such great such great people such holy priests such um great women good men awesome families just a really good weekend and um the most powerful part for me which i was really surprised by was david's first mass oh oh i mean we were like (laughs) crying i'm so glad we were kind of in the back row as opposed to like by a bunch of people because we were just i mean all they would have seen is our shoulders bobbing up and down repeatedly (laughs) i know i don't i wasn't expecting to cry and then when he started i'm like this is there's something just incredible about it when it's your friend that i've known for like so long that i've been through such highs and lows with and uh just seeing him saying the mass uh was pretty profound I, i've never i've never experienced that before in my life i've been to masses like said by friends who are now priests, but there's something different about this i, I probably because it was his first one um might just been the you know but we were pretty exhausted from hashtag zach's party 2018 that may have played a bit of a factor but the, i just remember when i saw um david's mom uh, who's been an important person in like our life and lives of a lot of our friends uh, and his dad, that when she started crying, that's when I was like, Oh God, Jerry, I know it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. I probably got choked up. 
At one point in time, I turned over the program and it had it had Andy G, and I had to turn it over because I was because I was just reflecting. So, for those that don't know, for whatever reason, Andy G is the name of the household that we were in in school. It's like a Catholic frat. And when I saw that on the back, I just was really overwhelmed with just how much of um, how much of a blessing Andy G and Sewell has been to me and to be a part of this group, to be, you know, be able to walk with David, gosh, for now over half my life. Yeah. Um, you know, someone I've known for almost like 17 years now, uh, to be with people that I've known for that long, it was really powerful. I think because I met David my first day at Steubenville. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and just like, wow, like that's someone that I've known for that long, the whole time. And it was just very, it was just very much like one of our own. Yeah. In a way that I've never really quite experienced. When you said like someone's, you know, realizing their vocation, like I've known David to the point where like he just seems so restless. I was talking about this with my wife. Like uh, he seems so restless. In between graduating, him and my wife were really good friends, and they lived next door to each other when they had an apartment when she was a youth minister at St. Lawrence. And and you worked for David for a short time while he was in that apartment. So, like, my whole life was basically my girlfriend Shannon and David right next door and everyone in between that would kind of evolved or or, uh, revolved around those orbits. And the amazing thing about David was I always felt like he was restless no matter what he was doing, right? Like they always had, you know, like mm-hmm. doing stuff for his dad, who's a doctor, an amazing doctor. Um, you always had this feeling like this isn't it, you know? And you're like, come on, man, get a job, do the thing, or do whatever it is. And then he went off to seminary. And, you know, like all my friends who go off to seminary always ask, you know, is this a vocation? How long is this going to last? Is this going to take? And when David went from philosophy, which I think he was only there for one year, and then he came up to St. Mary's for his graduate level stuff, um, the elegant, um, it was like literally at that time that I was like, David isn't restless anymore. And mm. you could tell that he, that he had a piece about where he was. That often mm-hmm. I find men in seminary, they say this line like, uh, you know, they'll give like a testimony at church and it's like, hey, I'm here from the seminary and I'm going to become a priest, Lord willing, in uh, four years. Um, you know, God has called me to the priesthood. I think, I, I don't really know. Seminary is a great place to discern your vocation. And they'll, they'll, it sounds like they're issuing so many disclaimers, but there was always a, like when David would talk about it, he had frustrations with stuff, you know, whatever, like any human being would at the process of becoming a priest. But there was always this level of like, yeah, this is where I should be. And it was awesome. Yeah, I agree. It was very, I don't know, when he prayed over me, when he did the blessing, there was this calmness to his voice that I've never quite experienced. I've seen in David him or be, for your, or in your life? In him. Okay, good. In him. Um, that... You know, and I've had some great heart. To, I mean, I've had, actually, I've had, I mean, probably dozens of heart to hearts with him. I've had very um, serious chats about good stuff and bad stuff and heavy things and hard things and, I mean, like everything. Um, yeah. I mean, to put it into perspective, when my dad died, um, my girlfriend at the time called David's mom, and she's the one that told everyone. Yeah. So this is like the relation. You know, it's just yeah. a 
that like we have, and I feel like very, very close with him and his family. And uh, um, there was just there was something about it that I was like, oh, he's this is good. God's doing things, and you can tell that it was this was the result of an abundant relationship with God, and years and years of work and growth and um. It's the power of witness, you know, and, and I think that's why this weekend was so powerful. It was Father Dave Pavanka's witness, a beautiful homily at David's a beautiful. I love I just want to hear Father. I wish Father Dave would put out a podcast of his homilies. Yeah, because he is the best preacher I have ever heard. Um, And I, I, I don't know. It was just great. Like there's something about where we went to school. And this is true for anyone, I think, who goes to a place that you, where you have really good, good friends and, and, and a great experience. Where you, where you go to a school where everyone's kind of on the same page, has the same mission in life. And then we've all gone on different ways. Some people, we're, we're, we're all, we are all like not the same, but in like some ways we still are, you know, just better grown up versions of ourselves. And it was just such a great experience of like just a humanity. I know it sounds a little absurd, but it really was. And I had this really incredible uh, moment when I went up to receive communion from a Father Dave Pavanka. He said, the body of Christ, Luke. And and it had just been a very, very long time since the priest had said my name at that moment in time. And it was really moving. Like, here's a guy who, again, like Father Dave, he has known me for a long time and I really didn't get to know him too well until around uh, 2003. After that, we had, he had some pretty profound moments for me with, with my own life and during school and after school. And um, yeah, there's just something. Be- I, 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 it was like the church just being the church, you know, with no programs, no goals, no like mission statements, just being who we are. Not that that stuff's bad, but there was no agenda to anything. Yeah. You know, and it was really beautiful. Like, um, I mean, and that took 17 years. You know, I mean, at, at least for me, that was something 17 years in the making, you know? Um, yeah, just a really great week. Like, to me, it's like one of those things that if I had a person with me who was an, and, and atheist i'd have them experience that weekend uh, with me and go that's where i believe in god mm. this right here mm. is why i believe in god one of one of the reasons why if like they could inhabit like my thoughts and my mind and my experience of that i, don't, I know it sounds kind of odd but and and let me tell you let me describe to you the mass so david father david is a an amazing singer amazing voice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was actually why Luke was working for him was he had released an album and doing all this stuff, kind of agent stuff kind of around that. And it was to hear David sing the mass. So his first mass was a mass of Thanksgiving done at the seminary. And the seminary has a beautiful, small-ish chapel. It's about 250. And the pews are arranged. Um, I don't know what you call it, but it, <laughs> stadium seating, basically. So they're pews that face each other. And it's for the traditional kind of chanting back and forth of um, the uh, liturgy of the hours. And they have mass there. So at one end is this beautiful altar uh, with, uh, you know, a mosaic of the seven sacraments and the I am the vine, you are the branches kind of thing. And the other side kind of in the middle is where the uh, ambo is, where the word is proclaimed. And you're facing people. 
right? You're facing each other in a stadium seating, pews, whatever. It's an old school chapel, and it's perfect. And then when David did the mass, the vestments were like 100 years old that everyone wore that David had. And then he sung it. So it was a sung mass that had a scholar from the seminary singing, the woman who went to the liturgical institute. She was in charge. And uh, she was awesome. Laura, Lauren. Um, and then David sung all the mass parts. And to hear the, the Roman canon, which most of us don't hear the Roman canon. It's the first Eucharistic prayer. It's the, the most kind of the most ancient one for the for the mass. It has the most amount of I almost said celebrities. Saint Litany's kind of brought it. <laughs> the most amount of Catholic celebrities. Cecilia. Um it was awesome. And David sung the whole thing. And I was telling uh, you, Luke, I think like you know how like the church teaches like full conscious and active participation. That's what it means. Don't just spectate, participate in the liturgy. You know, as priest, prophet, and king, every baptized and confirmed Catholic can offer their own sacrifices in union with the sacrifice offered by the ministerial priesthood and all of these wonderful stuff. But because my friend just became a priest, and this was his first mass, to watch him, like I was spectating like crazy, but all the things the mass does for the priest, which is, especially in the liturgy of the Eucharist, the whole point of vestments, and everything else is to obliterate the personality of the priest. So I'm spectating on this man, my friend, who is now a priest. But the way that they did the mass drew me not into, and the only thing that pulled me out was people taking photos. But it drew me out of being like, oh, look, it's David doing this thing. Yay, I'm applauding you like a kid doing a piano recital. No, it was like, this is the mass. This is the thing that every priest holds in common. This is the thing that I can experience every single day of my life. And it's unique and it's beautiful because it's my friend who is the priest who, uh, you know, I've known him for, yeah, like you said, more than half my life. But there was this element where, like, the extreme, like, spectator side of it just completely gave way to this, yeah. the, this participation. And I loved it. I don't know how else to explain it. That's a poor job. But I loved it. I loved it. I was immersed in the mass. It was truly a group of people coming together who loved Jesus Christ and each and each and each other to offer up the mass. You know, I mean, it was, I don't know. I don't know if that probably doesn't do it justice. But, anyways, yeah, <sighs> it was good. It was, and, and it it was, was kind, good. Kind of bittersweet in in hindsight. I don't know when we're all, we're all going to get together again. Yeah. I mean, really, the next time is going to be at funerals. Yep. Well. Probably going to be your funeral. <laughs> Let's be honest here. We should have a death pool. <laughs> Who's going to be the first one of us to die? <laughs> so many inside jokes that we could make right now, but we're not going to. Mm. Um, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. So anyways, uh, if, you, if your friend becomes a priest, go. It's very cool. And go to everything super holy. and do everything. Yeah, really, truly. Like the, I, I was very surprised that the Thanksgiving Mass was uh, his first one. I mean, I was excited about it, but I remember, uh, I just didn't think it was going to hit me the way that it did. So, yeah. I'm just and it's, it was just great to see his parents like experience that and our friends. I don't know. I just, I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude the whole time. So, yeah. And my favorite part is whenever they the priest gets anointed, his hands are anointed by the bishop. He then wipes his hands off. 
on a stool, and that stool is given to his mother. I, and, you know, it's always like this heart-rending moment when a, when a oh, mom God, yeah. received that. As soon as he started to talk, I was like, he's going to do the mom cloth thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the mom yeah. cloth thing. Yeah, when Father Paul did that, I lost it. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. We are two huge emotional douches. <laughs> <laughs> to end that beautiful reflection. Now, can I, can I, can I say something, Luke? I'm going to ask your opinion. I might edit this out. Okay, so thinking about David's ordination and him being a priest, I wrote, I I tried to do something, right? I literally listened to our first episode, Create, Don't Just Consume, and I I listened to that one day, and I was like, I'm going to do something that is creative, that I like, but that I'm incredibly embarrassed by, so I made that, uh, I don't know, spoken word poem about the priesthood, right, that I made you listen to. You, you remember that? Uh, twice. Did I? What? what was the once time? when you once when you created, and then once again uh, when I got like I think it was the morning before we were about to leave to go to the cathedral. Yeah, that's when it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes if I don't drop a clip in the audio. I think you should. I I think you should play the whole thing here. I think it's very appropriate. Oh, you're my best friend, Luke. I know. It's- Put that in your blunt and smoke it, Chris Miller. (laughs) I'm dying for you to meet her. I need you to love her. You would realize that everything changes when you discover how great are her eyes. Century scene, it's a beautiful thing. When through her scarlet lips you hear salvation sing. I thought I was just in love with the king till he showed me his kingdom. I hear tales of countless lives, but all I saw was a bride, radiant, spotless, and strong, just like the song her scarlet lips intoned of a naked king on a wooden throne, dying, forsaken, and alone. Of empty tombs and spirits grown with sighs too deep for words, and he spoke of a virgin who was also a mother. Of men from a thousand races calling out to one another and saying, Brother. A thousand races, but only one, our Father. The King showed me his kingdom, and what I saw was a bride, and those in her were alive like a preborn child rushing through the light, and he told me, to love her, to make his bride my life, my wife, to become a father. I thought I was in love with the king till he showed me his kingdom. And then I saw with his mind the only necessary thing. I need her song, so I'll help her sing. A caller as my Roman wedding ring. And now I love with the king, love the very same thing. She drove me mad. I left family jobs, all that I had. When I saw her curls flow down like Gilead, one glance I was sold. And if I may be so bold, I'll describe her. Her curves are the cityscapes, alleyways where sinners hide and undo the living of their lives. I had been bitten by the harshness of their hurts. 
She would be their lily among the bramble of the city, a garden grown with gospel sown, a mountain of myrrh and streets grimy and gritty. Her curves are the tears falling down mom's cheeks who cried for weeks and weeks and dad's vision blurry, burdened with so much worry when empires come crashing down and I'm still smitten with the kingdom. Where the broken and the lame, known each by name, their hurt lies and shame, assumed in the day of pain that he made good, made us good. That Friday is the shape of my neighborhood. For so many years I lived Thursday, borrowed time, thinking life is but a joke. But it was her voice I heard as the thief kindly spoke, telling me the hour's getting late. In sin, our blocks separating, widening the gap between us. But the king, without hesitating, throws himself into the breach. One man landing on Normandy Beach, self-emptying silence, a perfect contrast where love constantly challenges fate. And that's why I love her. He made her so pretty. Sunday life of daydreams made real that even thieves could hope to steal and find repose in his repeal. dying for you to meet her. I live so you will love her and discover what I have uncovered. There is no throne who would have Christ selfish and alone without the church for a mother. I thought I was just in love with the king till he showed me his kingdom. And in my freedom, I learned to love with the king, to love the very same thing. With my collar as my Roman wedding ring. Whenever I did it and uh, I had Shannon listen to it, she started crying and she goes, you wrote this? And I was like, that's the best compliment you could ever give me. <laughs> just like Why when, I did. Just like when I was a little kid and uh, I would draw something, my, my dad would go, wait, did you trace this? They're like, no, I drew it by myself. And he's like, wait, you drew this? I'd be like, oh, that's the best compliment. Be he was like, you drew this, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you drew this? I didn't think... Uh, I didn't think wusses from Oklahoma could draw, eh? You know what I mean? Eh? How eh? about this? Look at this kid. He knows a fat waste of spice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Barb. Look at this, Barb. Uh, I, I don't know if your mom's name is Barb or not. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank <laughs> on your mom's name. It's Teresa or Tur. That's right. Tur. Teresa. <laughs> hey, Tur. Tur. Look what, look what old Gormley made. <laughs> One day you're going to grow up and be a self-important chubby person, a.k.a. a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't trying to say that you're fat. Now I feel bad. No, no, you said it. So I felt like I had good. to go I'm with it. I'm just kidding. No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. I'm a terrible friend. Um, all right, so let's move on. Are you we ready to go to segment two? Congratulations, Father David. This is what the people David. want, apparently. Yeah. Father David. Very happy has. for you, buddy. I was very yeah, holy. Man. We love you. And we're going to um, name you the, uh, the chaplain of the podcast. <laughs> you and Father James Martin. 
what? Well, can we talk about what Father James Martin is? Because I do not want that. Um, Too late. <laughs> They're both the chaplain of the the chaplains of the podcast. <laughs> Can't say anything. No techies, backies. <laughs> so say we all. Um, so okay. So a few weeks ago, I gave a, actually the night before Avengers came out. So five weeks ago, I gave a. <laughs> it's sad that I know that. Uh, oh, this, this means this is the last week Avengers going to be in the theaters then. Six weeks, right? I think so. Maybe we should go again. Uh, I've gone four times. Is it bad if you're 35 and go see a movie five times in the, in the theater? Is that immature? I tell you why I'm going to love it because my wife and kids are going out of town. I'm driving them to St. Louis and then coming immediately back. And Shannon goes, you should get that like movie pass thing and just go to And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Way ahead of you. <laughs> I will be at movies all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so I gave a talk. I gave a theology on tap talk here in Cincinnati on the topic of dating. And uh, I had like five tips. I did a little like in, I did a little in, intro that I had five tips. And I had 30 like eight questions during the Q and A. I somehow got to like twenty four of them. It was insane. So I took I took the rest of them, um, combined a few. I think I got rid of like one or two, and I made a two part podcast with the questions I did not get to with our good friend Ar- Arlene Spensley. Put it on the Catholic Telegraph um, in Cincinnati on that's our local diocesan newspaper. Put it on that website and got a lot of great responses to that. A a lot of good responses. And so um, we thought because we had a lot of great responses and people want us to do more like segments and stuff that uh, perhaps it would be fun for me to list the five topics that I gave during my dating talk and we'll just have like a, we'll just have a conversation about it. Yeah. Does this violate the whole discussion over instruction thing? Well, we're going to – so this is what you're going to do. You're going to talk, and then I'm going to be like, wait a second. You're full of crap, and then yeah. we can discuss it. There we go. Yeah. Okay. And then I can throw in my two cents about dating, which is just get married. <laughs> I'm a terrible dater. That's my only advice. <laughs> I want to preface this really quick that I, uh, I take the – when I wrote this out, I had a whole spiel about how Catholic dating really sucks. And I think that that's true. Um, most people agreed with me on that. I didn't have anyone who did – who didn't – who like adamantly disagreed. Um, I just don't think Catholic dating is as healthy as it could be. Like we had a good buddy of ours who uh, wrote up, actually wrote his wrote his whole like, senior thesis about that, and was like, "Yeah, it's really bad." And um, yeah, and so like wrote this a whole senior th- thesis on Catholic dating. Uh, it was on dating at Steubenville. I see. But I what what subject was this a thesis in? Please say theology. Please say theology. Uh, no, it was counseling. I think counseling or psychology. Cool. Okay. So uh, I don't want to name who it was, but he said he's, he's willing to come on the podcast to talk about it. So there we go. Um, uh, bah, 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 bah. And um, I found that, you know, in a lot of the big places that I, I live out in Colorado, out in D.C., it felt like, you know, it and here, here, um, here in Cincinnati as well, it really hasn't changed. And I think the crux comes down to this is that, well... I think everyone tries to find some deeply um, – they try to find an answer 
to these problems or they tr- they try to base their approach on how to date from they try to base it on theology and i don't think that that's necessarily bad but i don't think that's enough like faith like faith and reason or faith trying to like seek reason which is where like these points uh coming this isn't about trying to define the heart of god so intently that you like that 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 like that's where like woman that's where a like man will like find a woman because who knows what that means or in this other crap this is more just very practical here's how to you know engage in what i would call healthy like healthy like dating which can then become holy dating because again grace built upon and grace presupposes nature right yeah yeah cha-ching so are you ready, big stuff? Y'all ready for this? Do, 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 do. Who do you think? You are? Okay. Wait, Point. real quick, real quick, right before you get into this. I looked at um, my daughter today, and I said, or my son Noah today, and I go, Noah, do you believe in life after love? And he looked at me and he goes, no, daddy. <laughs> Just total straight face. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right, fair enough. Please don't become an atheist. Uh Point number one, and I'm going to try to keep my my explanations as short as I can because I really don't want this to become just me blabbing. Um, a or do I? A relationship isn't one dimensional, but one dimension can kill it. I was told at 18 that I should not date a girl unless I could see myself being married to her. I think that's a bunch of bull crap. Um, when you, I think there are really kind of two parts to when we date. One part is I think it is important to say I'm dating to really discern if I want to get married to this, to like like this like person here. But there's this whole other part to it where it's just I find this person to be very cool. I want them to be in my life and to have a special like relationship um, with with them. So I think you do have to be you do have to be going somewhere, but sometimes you can't get to that point for like two or like two years or so or perhaps if, if you're in school like four or like you know, like four or uh four or f- five years. And I think it's really dumb and borderline wrong to rush that. Like you have to understand there are two parts that are at play. One is yes, we date we do date to ultimately get married. That's the point of what's going on there. But you're also dating to be an to be in a relationship here and now. And if you don't have one or the other, or if you know that like, Oh, I really don't want to get married to this person, but I like being in a relationship with them. You should break up with that person. That's not a, that's not a good relationship. That's not the point of all of this. But if you're like, I really want to get married to them, but we have a terrible relationship. You should break up with that person. Okay. So, so that's so that's what I mean. Like, it's not just this one dimensional thing, but each of but each of those aspects can like really kill a relationship. Yeah. Or should. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're you're giving this talk to a bunch of Catholic young adults. Yes. How are they? How are they responding to you at this point? Uh, I mean, I don't really remember. They seem to be engaged. You're like, I don't know. I'm a hammered drunk. I mean, like, uh, so what were some of the questions that they asked? Uh, did they ask questions specifically along those lines about whether these are bad signs or not for them? Um, I want to say there were a few. Yeah, like one about what do you do if a person's if the parents don't really uh, like you, blah, 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 things like that. Like what happens if you've, like, had, like, sex with this person or should we have, you know, should we, is it bad to engage in premarital uh, relations? And Did they yada, say yada, relations? Yada. I don't remember. <laughs> I hope they said relations. Okay, cool. Okay. 
Okay, point two. Uh, you're the you're the prize, except when you aren't. So <laughs> go on. I think we have this idea. Like uh, we actually had a really good conversation about this. I think uh, a bit over the weekend that kind of uh, relates to this. But basically, like you are the prize. Like. I think so often when we date, especially in Catholic almost circles, because there's this holy vocation element and you have a lot of like woundedness that doesn't actually get addressed because we believe in hiding things for some stupid reason. Um, we think that, or it's very tempting for some people to think that being in a relationship, this person's going to solve all, like that person is the prize. Like you have to like pursue a girl because she's the prize. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Um, I think it's great to pursue a girl, but to act to put her on some type of like a pedestal that she should not be on, I think is wrong. To think that if I date this girl, she's going to like solve my problem, or this is going to finally, this is finally going to make me happy. In reality, like you're the prize. Like you're good. Like like you're a good person. You can be a. You can actually be a gift for another person like when that. you are in a relationship. And that's a really good. That's a really good thing. Okay. Okay. I like that idea. Um, however, yeah, unless you're not. What happens when your girlfriend's 24 uh-huh. and she's got like a whole like life t- together, and you're a 22 year old idiot with no drive whatsoever besides like ha- having fun and being and just being in love? You're not really the prize. You know, what if you don't work out? What if you don't take care of yourself and you're just not that uh, attractive? Why would people want to date you? What do you mean by attractive? Like if okay, so I mean in the sense I think uh, I'm I'm gonna take the, the example from a lot of like dudes pers- the perspective of a lot of dudes because this is I, we hear this a lot guys who get angry like girls don't want to um, be with me and like blah 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 and I'm like yeah because you don't take care of yourself you're a hundred pounds over overweight you don't work out you have no real career goals at all you don't work hard what about you is attractive so you're you know but you don't just mean physically like physically no, is a part no of it. no but I like mean, this notion rarely, of like you're trying to you're not even trying to build a life <laughs> you know like a future yeah. or anything yeah okay. like what's attractive about a girl who's batshit crazy you know like like really yeah. like what's truly attractive you can say it's if there's profound like if there's like a whole bunch of like brokenness, you could there's some attractiveness there, but it's that's not like a healthy attraction. I think very rare. Like it's really it's really interesting. I think when people get the most upset about being rejected, it's actually not because of like. Okay, so this is this sounds insane, but I used to have a thing that I would tell myself if a girl wasn't into me and i was like would you be this upset if she was a lesbian like if she came up to me and was like hey luke listen i think you're great but turns out i like girls sorry like i can't do anything about that i'm not a girl that has nothing to do with me that's her so like why do we get upset i i think it's like really it's actually I, th- I think in our heads we think, oh, this person doesn't find me a tracker that's really going to hurt. I don't think that's actually the case when that when that happens. I think what what ends up like really hurting us is when there's a thing about us that we know is bad that repulses them 
or that it has become such a problem that it has made me un- made me unattractive. Not eating well, not taking care of myself, not having a solid prayer life, not having goals or ambitions, things like that. That's the rejection that hurts because they're right. Mm. Like when I got dumped at 22, the thing that hurt the most was that I knew that she was kind of right. Well, what did, what did she say when she dumped you? What was it? Um, I think just the fear of like, you're 22, you just have to, you have to stay in school for like a whole nother year now. Like, can you take care of a family and blah, blah, blah. It was a little bit harsh, a little bit extreme, but I think it was pointing, I think when the reality, what she was trying to say was like, you're not taking your life like seriously at all. I don't want to be with the person who's not taking his life serious. Ah, gotcha. And I don't, I mean, you can't, I remember like, it was actually like our buddy Adam who said, Luke, you can't really be mad at her for that. Like, yeah, she, maybe she could have awarded it a little bit a little differently, but, uh, like, she's not wrong, like, for not, like, wanting to be with a person who's, like, you know, is going to, like, take care of themselves and, like, you know, like, really commit and, like, fulfill the responsibilities and the obligations they have because I wasn't really doing that. So why would she want to be with, you know, like, and again, part of that was, you know, I think a lot of those, I was just an immature 22-year-old kid who had to grow up. And she was two years older than than me. I think it may have been different if, like, we were the same age or she had another um, year in school. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it just was different. Like, she was in the world with a job about to – I think she was about to – I think she bought, like, a condo, like, you know, like, <laughs> right after that. And that ain't what Luke <laughs> Luke uh, no. with one more tour of Franciscan is going to do. <laughs> no, no. And, I, I like, I cared more about Cross Creek Tavern and – Hanging out with all my friends and like I, 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 which like I needed, I got the kick in the ass that I really um needed. Let me put it in this, in this, this, uh, let me use this language. Are you who, okay, tell me if you like this. Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? So, like, uh, what, what that means to me, that's a quote straight stolen by Andy Stanley, he's a Protestant pastor, but, uh, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? So he tells the story of this like Christian girl who like left the faith and she's living her twenties and going out and partying and sleeping around and doing all the things that all of her friends are doing. And then she meets this guy and she's telling her mom about it. She meets this guy and he's perfect. He's really cute. He drives a nice car. He already has like his crap together with his finances and all that stuff. And her mom says to her, honey, a guy like that, isn't interested in a girl like you. And this devastated the girl, but she said she's right. And because the guy was also a Christian and this is like her conversion story and stuff. And she was like, I was so devastated because I realized my mom was right. And the idea was if, if I want a certain type of person to pursue me, am I that person that they are looking for? You know, I'm guessing this is kind of like, I am the prize kind of thing, but in, in a, different sort of angle am i living because different people like i am not an attractive man but i wooed my wife right and the, I, I don't know how to say it like sometimes i feel like if someone breaks up with us there is a lot of like if, especially if it's a long relationship that ends there's a lot of like self-hatred people can dump on themselves right and that i i do think that there is a place to say Yes, like maybe I'm not the right person for her. She's not the right person for me or we shouldn't, you know, but, but a lot of people get dumped, get dumped because 
the other person wasn't feeling it. If you are, but sometimes you are feeling it. Like you're thinking everything's great and then they end it. And you're just not the person that they're looking for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I think this kind of gets to some of the things that, and I know some of the stuff that he says, like, isn't good or there are issues with like, this. I think this hits to some of the things that Jordan, that Jordan Lee Peterson talks about that were like, why he is struck at, like, why he has struck a nerve is a lot of things that, that like, he talks about. It's about things like this. This idea of like treat yourself as if you were a person you had to take care of because you do. I mean, like, truly, I, I, I was the kind of uh, because that was me in school. I thought God was going to take care of a lot of my needs yeah. that I myself like really am needed to do. You know, and I think it's it can there's um, Sometimes the way that we word things in the church for people like me, I'm not saying we have to change everything to like fit people like me, but it's like the worst thing I could have heard, mm. <laughs> you know, cause it fed into like my own fear that I couldn't take care of myself, that I was like a worthless piece of crap who really needed God to save me. And that's true in the sense of my own, like the sin in my life, but I truly thought I wasn't able to take care of myself or that things would just like work out, you know? Um, Are you saying that you're putting the responsibility of living a good adult life on God coming in and doing it for you? Yeah, almost. I think I was so paralyzed by the fear of certain things. Like I remember one of the reasons why I wanted to become what I wanted to become an atheist so badly was I could finally just have control over my own life. Mm. And, and I would just be like, it's in my, it's my responsibility now. And I, I just, there's this thing where when I start to really try to discern what is God's will that can be paralyzing for, for me yeah. or I'll put, you know, um, if I feel like things are out of my control, I won't really put effort into trying to change it. Yeah. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. Why you would know? you? And, why would yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. And so it really is something where like for me, and, and I know it sounds weird to some people, but it just for whatever reason, this has just been a struggle of mine. Like I can remember when I first had my conversion in high school, being in my chem class and totally not paying attention at all. And really also just kind of feeling God say, Hey dude, you need to take this seriously. Like you need to like, I'm being like, why? Like, this is really, I mean like I will, but like, it'll all work out. Like, you know, and, um, you know, and I had to work, th- I had to work through that a little bit, you know? And it's like, when we all have our issues, we all have our crap. Like this isn't like, we all haven't been the prize. Every single one of us. It's not, a, it's not about like being, it's not about like being rich. It's about, are you responsible with your money? Are you working hard at your job? Being rich, I think, like, sure, there's some girls who find that attractive, but, like, they're really shallow. And for the most part, what I think what girls find attractive is a person who's just responsible. Yeah. And you can be the outgoing, loud, fun guy who's, in, who's insane. And, like, like this is the most responsible. I'm at a point in my life right now where this is the most responsible I've ever been with my, like, own money. And I've never felt more healthier or free in my life about it. Like I enjoy paying bills and doing these things because I have all these goals that we're trying to, uh, we're, you know, and like everything I do, even the small things that like help me get close to that goal feels like a, it's like a small emotional high. Yeah. And it's crazy when you do the right things, how rewarding that is. And when you, and that's like more attractive to my wife when I'm doing those things. <laughs> 
Luke, when you don't spend all of our money on... <laughs> what What is your go-to thing that you've had to stop in order to be more... more adult? <laughs> when you just don't buy things on Amazon... Like, my big thing is, like, eating out and drinks, you know? So, when I'm not spending... When I'm only getting two drinks out, and when I'm only getting two drinks when we go out, or when I'm, you know, like um, carrying, bringing my lunch into work, or things like that, you know, or because I'm the person who will go out and I'll want to buy everyone beer. Really, I love. <laughs> mm-hmm. At one point in time in Aust, when we were when I was in Austria for school, there was a bank right next to the bar that we used to go to Urs, and I went over to Urs and withdrew. A, I went over to the bank right next to Urs and withdrew a hundred euros, <laughs> just like was buying people drinks because I love it. I love I love being charitable like that. It's so much fun. But there comes a point when like how's it? How is that? charity when i'm blowing all of the money i should be using to like travel across europe and like have this once in a lifetime experience yeah instead of buying what to drink for people who aren't gonna remember a thing that i'm doing yep <laughs> you know what i love i love it when people buy me drinks so me and you we're the perfect friendship <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah that's point two i, I mean and again like there's i think if we look at, I think scripture points us towards this ultimately, but I don't want to go too deep into that because, again, this is just informed by our Catholic faith. So um, point three, you cannot escape the cross. Um, everyone, ha- everyone has a cross. Con- um, con- con- consecrated people have, uh, have a cross. People who, who, who are married have crosses. I've had two miscarriages. You've had we've, there are ups and downs with you know in marriages. Uh, priests have like everyone has a has a cross, and I think a lot of times when we aren't when we like aren't married, um, it's easy to think that like oh if I just get married that I'll be fine because it's my vocation, and I understand that there's like there is like a longing to reach my primary my primary vocation, and that's a good thing, but to think that like getting married is going to help me was going to solve the problems I have. That is not actually true in the slightest. Um, it actually creates more problems. Now it can like bring about only healing within your life as well, but it's a pretty radical change. And it's like, it, um, if you're not trying to grow in holiness right now, or you're not trying to be a really good and healthy person, that is not going to change when you get married. Yeah. Like, it's just not. There's no, there's no like switch. There's no click where, like, and now I'm a responsible adult who has a job at a bank. <laughs> you know, like, it's not how it works. Um, <laughs> and then I also have this point that I think is very true. Like, no, you become no... a youth minister. That becomes the bridge. <laughs> yeah, he... I'm learning to adult. What are you doing? I'm a youth minister. I get to pretend like I'm not really in it for the video games. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I just add this part that I add where I say there is no such thing. There's no, there's no glory in a self-imposed cross. Okay. So, um, wouldn't you say though, that most people don't know that they're imposing it on themselves. I think when they had to, when they had to take a step back and really ask themselves, yes, which is why it's important They do know why, which is why it's important to have contemplative prayer time or meditative prayer time, whatever in your day. Like if you don't have silence and repose in your morning Mm -hmm. to think about these things, when are you ever going to think about them? When you're tweeting from the toilet while on your phone? No. Like, that's why this stuff is so important. Go on. I mean, I can 
I remember going to Austria when I saw all of you and just being like, is this a good use of my money? Uh, who cares right now? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and as for as great of an experience as that was, there's this part of it's just like, is this a good use of my time and money? You know, and and there was a little um, part of you that was rational that was then beat mm-hmm. up by that guy that says, no, in the future, I'll work at an inner city school and for five years and they'll pay off all my student loan debt. Exactly. <laughs> what are you saying about 2008? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And like, or getting in a relationship that you think it's good. It's going to work this time, even though it repeatedly is obvious to you and everyone else in your life that it's not going to work. And it becomes a self-imposed, a self-imposed cross. Like, I truly believe we're not meant to endure the, endure those things, and okay. that it is wrong to do so. What if my cross, given to be my God, is to keep imposing self-imposed crosses on myself? <laughs> What's your next point? What's your next point? We're passing an hour. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I told you. I can just blah, 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 blah. Okay, point, point four. When you know, you know. So I had a girl that I was uh, talking to for a couple a couple of months. Uh, we both went to the same school. She lived about 14 hours away. She came out to visit me. We hung out. And that weekend, I just kind of knew, like, this isn't going to work. I'm just not as into this as I should be. This is not going to work. I kind of remember like having this thought of like I didn't go through the pain of like at that time was the two. Well, no, those were the two um, the worst breakups uh, of like my life. I, I remember having this thought of I didn't go through that to d- like date to have like this kind of relationship where I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not interested in this person. And we were uh, I had to drop, so we were about five hours away from the airport that this girl f- that she. F- flew into to come and hang out with me really great girl very very nice girl i think she is married now it just we just she just we just we're not a good fit and we are 20 minutes into a five-hour car ride and she just turns me and goes i'm not going to move to like eureka am i and i just stopped and went uh, probably not <laughs> like i could have like lied to her and said no no we're gonna like i'll try but I knew that it wasn't going to work and it wasn't fair to like lead this girl on. And the next four and a half hours were going to be actually not too awkward for me, but very painful for her. <laughs> and um, <laughs> They weren't awkward for you. I mean, I just was like, that was the right call. <laughs> You're you like, know? no, man, I had uh, uh, Dave Matthews greatest hits and it was playing. It was about four and a half hours. worth. <laughs> well, I felt like I knew I had made the right call. So yeah. I was like, in a good spot. Then I made out with her that night. That was dumb. What? Um, <laughs> Yep, not a good person. I'm not a good person. What? I don't think I've ever heard that part of the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good person. Wait, 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 wait. You drove her to, you were driving her from middle of nowhere where you worked to San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, her and, flight was in the morning, so I was dropping her off at the hotel that she was staying at. And then you hung out. Mm-hmm. And then you made out. Mm-hmm. Was that your way of just getting some before she gets on the plane? Mm-hmm. What, not was, a good person. Was that her way? Oh, buddy. Was not that, a good person. Was that her way of trying to see if there was something there? No, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it just was, I was weak and I was dumb and I was insecure. And, you know, it was at the time when I still, I was trying to get away from students. Stu- actually, no, I wasn't. I was in a pretty dark place at that point in time. So <laughs> I just used her. Told, I, it was uh. horrible. I feel really bad about it. Like, um, well, I mean, when I talk about it, I feel bad. Like, I don't think, I mean, I'm over it. I, hopefully she has forgiven me and, you know, we haven't really talked since then. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't much. Probably a good it, thing. It 
Yeah. Wasn't one of my better moments. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. Like, we need to talk about these things a little bit more. So why not do it with 16,000 strangers? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so point number five. Because you're uh, a voyeurist at heart or an exhibitionist at heart. That's probably – I know. Oh, gosh. I probably shouldn't have said that then. Okay. Sorry, everyone. Too late. I'm oh. not editing. Okay. That's fine. Uh, point number five, uh, don't be afraid to pull a George Costanza. Don't be afraid to pull a George Costanza. So there's this great, um, great episode. This is on like Seinfeld where, uh, George does the exact opposite of what his gut instinct is and everything like works out. Like he gets a great (laughs) job with the Yankees. He meets a really, um, a beautiful girl. They start to date. And when I started to date Aaron, Aaron was exactly the kind of person that I had always, she wasn't, she was very different than anyone I had ever, I had like ever like dated. And I went, you know, I could use a little bit of that right now. So, and I thought she was really pretty and very cool and very interesting, but I, I could also tell she was a bit more on the quiet side. Was it a huge extrovert? Didn't really go out to bars a lot, you know, and I was, but that, and that's, those are the kind of girls that I had traditionally been with. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, like I'm going to date her because she's a little bit different and I, and it ended up being awesome. And so like sometimes if you're not too into them or they're not exactly what you've always, you know, like, don't be afraid. Just, just like uh, give it a shot and like, see what happens. It might work out. It, it like, it like might not, but if like you're in a, if you're in a, like dating rut, I think that's a great way to kind of just like change things up a bit, you know, ask out a girl that you typically would not ask out or say yes to the guy that you would, you might say like no to, just, you know, give it a shot and really um, see what happens. It, you know, odds are it it probably won't work out, but it's not a bad idea. Hmm. I like that idea. I, I think this is my favorite one of all your stuff so far. Of, of your the point. five? I like that. I really mm-hmm. like that point. Like the notion of like, listen, okay, this one's outside the box, but the box you've been in has kind of come up empty <laughs> so yeah. far. Take another route. It's, Do the George Costanza. Yeah. It smells stale and sad right now. Let's just air it out a little bit. So just like leave the box. Leave open up the windows. The box. Oh. We're gonna open, we're gonna we're going to open up the window and we're going to light a candle. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> so your Messiah would be the Antichrist. That was what he said on that episode. <laughs> oh, we were a more religious country even in the 90s. 
Right. He's used that joke today. People would be like, what's the Antichrist? I know. Or don't put your Messiah on me. <laughs> That's my truth, Luke. Oh, man. That is. I like that. I like that. Okay. What's your last point? Last point. Swing oh, no. for the fences, Luke Gregory Carey. We <laughs> are at it. Theology. Oh, that was it? I thought you had one more. It. No, those were my five points. Okay. Let's rehash them. Point number one. Oh, gosh. Okay. You Sorry. are the butterfly. Point number two. Reach for the stars. Point number three, follow your bliss. Point number four, only date hot chicks. Point number five, <laughs> even if you are. <laughs> Point number one, a relationship isn't one dimensional, but one dimension can kill it. Point two, you are the prize unless you aren't. Point three, you cannot escape the cross. Point four, when you know, you know. And point five, don't be afraid to pull a George Costanza. <laughs> now, which one was it point number one that you did? No. Wait, which one was the, the lesbian comment that if the girl you're talking to is a lesbian? Wait, what was that point again? Because you were, oh, did you end up using it? No, I did not. Because, like, I actually, well, I asked, like, I asked a ton of people about it the week before. Like, I asked them on what they thought. And a lot of people thought it was funny, but, like, one person that I trust was like, mm, I don't really know. So I did not. Um, th- that was from, to when you are, you are the prize, dot, 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 unless you aren't. Yeah. You are the prize unless you aren't. Um, okay. Right. So, yeah, this is great. What, what, good. Do you have anything else? Do you have anything now, else? Anything you want to say that's different, new, awesome? What are you reading? Uh, I am reading a great um, lecture on Hanser's on Balthasar on Audible. So not really I'm listening. I am listening to it, but it is there's a thing that they talked about that actually blew my freaking mind. But I need to unpack it more before we talk about it on here. Okay. What is but the thing very, called? Uh, I don't remember. It's not, it's basically typing Hanser's on Balthasar into Audible and it's um it, it's like a it's like a 25 part lecture that comes up. It's very very good. Huh, that's cool. It's very, very good. I'm yeah. listening to N.T. Wright's "How God Save" or "How God Became King," and it's challenging the mentality of or the the exegesis that Christians, especially since the Reformation, give to uh, what Jesus was up to, and they have de uh, Jewishized, Judaized Jesus to the point where. Um, they think that the cross is just about getting us to heaven. This is a big N.T. Wright thing. He's a famous um, uh, scholar. He's a great, very easy-to-read author, and he's a bishop in the Anglican Church. And he he talks uh, a lot about – if any of you listen to Bishop Barron, he, Bishop Barron talks about how he was in the hospital and he had nothing to do, so he read the 800 or 1,600-page volume of N.T. Wright's on the resurrection. So I'm reading this, and it's all about, like, understanding that it was the death of Jesus on the cross that made him the king of Israel and how that's really the point, not just this notion of salvation mm. by faith alone. He said he, his main thing is like after the first 400 years of the church, the church became so Hellenized and de-Jewish that it, it's, it's um, flow from Old Testament to New Testament was really like, look at the prophets and how they point to Jesus doing these things. That's all that that's all that matters is like prophecy is pointing, you know, we kind of like still kind of divided the testaments a bit too much. So it's really mm-hmm. interesting hearing him break this, this notion down. So how God became king. And it's very, I really like it. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, and he kind of explodes some of the notions of uh, 
some of the notions of like verses that people just assume they know what it means. And he's like, no, you're only interpreting this because you're a post enlightenment Westerner. That isn't how a Jew in the first century would have even come close to hearing it. And so I really like that. I think it's, I that's think, really cool. Yeah. It, there's elements of it that I'm kind of like, but there's a lot of elements that I really like. And I do agree with, and he even talks about how like the creeds of the church, because they go from basically the birth of Jesus to the death of Jesus. And, and, you know, they kind of make his life not important. And this is why I think the luminous mysteries are so important is because they have that right there at the, um, at the center of his life. There is this whole notion of, uh, the, or the center of the luminous mysteries is the whole notion of the proclamation of the kingdom. And that's like what the book is about. It's like this notion of like, we got away, we separated the cross from the kingdom and we don't understand what's going on anymore in what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And so I like it. I like it. It's really good. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading. Cool. Nice. All right, man. Have a uh, safe drive. Oh, man. This is going to be murder. Thank you, brother. Thank you. It's going to be murder. It is. <laughs> I, just, Dude, I, I, don't... I have a, a YouTube video on silent playing, and it's one of those videos that you see at, like, at, well, this bar by my house where it just plays, like, fail videos. And so I don't have to listen to anything. I just watch, like, cars crash into fences and stuff, and it's funny. <laughs> I just watched a kid who looks exactly like I looked in maybe ninth grade of college, of high school, and he just did the splits, and he ripped his entire shit, cargo shorts, and just ripped it. It was awesome. I love it. I've had that happen before when I was in a, I was, uh, I was actually at a young adult event out in Colorado. And my pants just like ripped open, like just I like went to like kick the air as a joke or something. I don't know, and my pants, my, my shorts just like ripped. And I went to my friend Danielle because I had taken like Metro there, and I said, "Hey Danielle, I need you to take me home right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go because like I think she was about to head. I was like, I need to go with you right now. Don't ask me why. I just need to. I just need you to take me home. I'm kind of the car and was like, so my pants just ripped. It was very odd. That is so funny. Remember in college when you jumped on my back while I was kneeling down and I tried to stand up and you jumped on my back and it uh, split my pants. You remember that? <laughs> I think I do remember that. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Good times. Then your balls came out for everyone to see. Balls, balls, balls. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that.